We'd like to honor our veterans this morning. If you have served in our nation's military and served your country, I'd like to ask you to stand right now. You don't have to do anything, but just stand. We want to honor you and say thank you for your service to our country. And please remain standing. Please remain standing. It'd be a privilege to buy you lunch today at the car show, so when you get to the table, just tell them I'm a veteran. And uh, Now, that's you that are standing. You could say, I was almost a veteran. That doesn't count. But we'd also like to honor those of you that have family that are serving in the military right now. Would you stand, please, to your feet this morning? I have family that's serving in our nation's military right now. Give them a big hand today. And lastly, is if you have had family that have died in the service of our country, in the military, would you please stand? We'd like to honor you today. I've lost a loved one in the military. God bless you. God bless you for what you've done. Let's pray. Father, we want to take a minute and say thank you for the men and women that have given us freedom, because freedom has not been free. We pray today for our nation, for our country, for its future. We pray, Lord, that uh, you would help this nation humble itself before God. And, and, and still be a place of freedom, Lord, that people long to come to. Bless those that are serving our country today, those that are away from us, and those that carry the scars of battle. We pray that your hand is on us for good in Jesus' name. Anybody say it? Yeah. Well, you may be seated. Turn your Bible this morning to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32. You know, as you saw that video, I've seen it a number of times, and every time I've seen it, it just it touches my heart deeply. And I think about the older men in that video, and I want you to picture one of them. Tom Brokaw called them the greatest generation. He wrote a book about those that were born in the Depression era and those that served in World War II, maybe reminding you of your father or of your grandfather. But I want you to think of one of those crusty old guys that you saw, and I want you to imagine a football stadium, and he's sitting next to a, uh, a freshman in college, and this is the conversation they had. A very self-important college freshman attended a football game, and he took it upon himself to explain to the senior citizen next to him why it was impossible for the older generation to understand the young generation. And the young guy said, the college guy said, you grew up in a different world. It was almost a primitive one, he said, loud enough for many of those nearby to hear. He said, the young people of today grew up with television, jet planes, space travel, men walking on the moon, our spaceships have visited Mars. We have nuclear energy, hydrogen cars, computers with DSL, and light speed processing. And pausing to take another drink of beer, then the senior, senior citizen interrupted the young guy and he said this. He said, you're right, son, we didn't have those things when we were young, so we invented them. <laughs> and now, you arrogant little, fill in the blank there, what are you doing for the next generation? And what a great call from one generation to the next. The things that we have inherited, come on, were not just gifts that we move not only the nation and the world forward. The applause was resounding. I love senior citizens. How about you? And uh, not only do we honor veterans today, but we honor age because uh, how many know that's the right thing to do? Well, Genesis chapter 32, we have been, I'm finishing a series this morning called Before and After. Remember, we've been looking at different Bible characters, seeing how as God had intervened in different stages of their life, brought from, from them from where they were to where God wanted them to be. And this morning, I want to look at a man named Israel. He was the father of the Jewish people. Let's look at one verse, and then at the end of the message, we'll come back to it, and I'll expound on it more. 
But Genesis 32, 28. Now, Jacob is in an interesting time. And again, we'll speak more of this later. But Jacob literally is having a fight with God or with an angel of God. He has run away from his homeland. He tricked his brother. He deceived his brother uh, Esau. And uh, he got scared of him. Esau was going to kill him. So he runs away, and it's 20 years later, and now he's going back home. And he has this encounter with God that changes his life. And then this angel or this man said to, to Jacob, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. I want you to think of the name change, the before and after. Before he's Jacob, after he's Israel. What does that mean? Now, in the Bible, your name had a spiritual significance to it. Often in the Bible, your name would be a portrayal of your character. It would have some prophetic significance of your future. Jacob's name happened to mean supplanter, which simply means this. When he was born, he was, he was the second of a twin, uh, second-born twin, and when his brother came out, he was holding on to his heel. And it's a picture of this man. His name literally means this. He's, one who, he's someone who takes someone else's position by treachery, deceit, cheating, or by force. In other words, you get ahead by pushing yourself ahead of people, by stepping on whoever you have to to get to the top, by doing whatever you have to do to get where you want to be. Well, that was Jacob. And how many know his character would have to be radically changed before God could take him to the next step? I don't care how tough you are, how smart you are, how much money you have, how much finesse, how much you know how to manipulate and control people. That will only take you so far because God has a whole other place to take you if you deal with your character. Now, his new name, when God renamed him Israel, it was symbolized a change of character. It meant prince with God. It means strives with God or letting God rule or God fights. Now, this name Jacob, when we think about this name Israel, rather, when you think about him, guess what? We remember the nation of Israel today, that small nation on the corner of the Mediterranean. That nation is named after this man. The descendants of Jacob or the descendants of Israel, 12 tribes that were the people of the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. Jesus Christ descended from one of those tribes, the tribe of Judah. Now, when we think about this man's story, how in the world could God take a guy who was a cheater and a liar and a deceiver and turn him into such a great man? That's what we're going to talk about today. We're talking about character. Now, when I use the word character, and the message is entitled, Character Counts, character is who you are. Character is the real you. It's, 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 it's your value system, the way you behave in life. If we talk about your character at work, um, how would someone describe you? And you can think of someone like this at work. Maybe there's someone, they don't work very hard, they do just enough to get by, uh, they, they, they're always late, if you don't watch them, they're not going to work. That's their character. On the other hand, someone else's character is they're a person, they're on time, they get there a little early, they always work hard, um, uh, they always do an excellent job. Uh, if you want to trust the keys to somebody, that's the guy you'd give it to. How many know we'd say they've got good character? Character is the way you treat people. Am I someone who, who manipulates people? Do I control people? Do I, am I, do I take advantage of people? Do I say whatever I have to say to get what I want? Or on the other hand, am I someone who genuinely cares for people? Am I someone who looks out for the other person, that I'm selfless rather than selfish? When I talk about character, I'm asking the question, am I someone who, who tells the truth? Am I honest? If I give you my word, can you believe it or am I a liar? Uh, you know, if I'm being interrogated, am I going to say whatever I have to to kind of get out of the bind? It reminds me of most politicians that I listen to today. Amen. 
I mean, I, I just voted Friday. Uh, I hope you vote. Texans, the day of court voting is, is on Tuesday. I believe Arkansas is passed. But my mailbox has been filled with people, and every one of them say they're conservative. And you know why they say they're conservative? It's because most American people have traditional values. Most Americans believe in traditional marriage. Most Americans believe you, you live within the money you have. You know, you've got to manage what you've got. We're conservative people, so hence, that's what they have to say because the pollster told them that if they want to get elected. And then when they get in office, they can do what they want to do. Does that sound cynical? Does that sound like a realist today? Well, what's missing in these guys' world is character. Now listen, I'm not a perfect person, you're not either, but I'm doing the best I can to have godly character, to let my words be consistent with my actions, to watch the way that I treat people. How many know character counts? Well, as we look in this story today, as we talk about Jacob, we're going to see a man who God literally started out, he started out as someone who was a cheater, who was a thief, and God turned him into a great man. So my question is, how did that happen? And I think you'll see how it even applies to you, because I really believe the Holy Spirit's going to speak to us in this message today. So let's begin this morning, Genesis 27, and let's understand a little bit more about Jacob. Jacob was someone who would cheat and deceive people to get what he wanted. He cheated and deceived to get what he wanted. Now, in this point of the story, he's a grown man. His dad, Isaac, is near death. Isaac is near death, uh, and what happened in the Jewish culture is the father would bring the oldest child, and he would give them what's called the blessing. The blessing had not only spiritual, but it had legal significance in their day. Well, Isaac is so old, he probably has cataracts. He can't see good. And what he does is he tells his son Esau, I want you to go out. Esau's the older. Jacob's brother, I want you to go out and I want you to kill a deer. Kill a wild animal, come back, barbecue him, we'll eat together, and then I'll give you the blessing because I'm dying soon. Well, uh, and let me say this just as a side note. Every young person, every child needs the blessing of their father. I'm telling you, I'm 55, I need the blessing of my father. I need dad to tell me, you're doing a good job, son. There's something about it. If you're raising kids, let me tell you, you cannot do enough when you speak positive words about the destiny of your child. You cannot do enough to help them believe in themselves because the world is picking on them and, and undermining them. But you can do more than perhaps anyone else, a mom and a dad, by speaking words of blessing and words of life to the kids. So anyway, so as he's going to go out, uh, Jacob's mom, Rachel... She has a special a spot in her heart for her son Jacob, so she joins in the trickery, and she said, here's what I want you to do, Jacob. I want you to go kill a goat, make the barbecue real quick, give it to Daddy, and if he tries to figure out who you are, I'm going to put a piece of animal skin on you so he'll think it's your rough brother Esau, and we're really going to trick Dad. You use a fake voice because we want you to get this blessing. So trickery and treachery are involved, and let's check in the story. Verse 30, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, Esau returns from hunting. And Esau said, Sit up, my father, and eat my wild game so you can give me your blessing. But Isaac asked him, Who are you? And Esau said, It's your son, your firstborn son, Esau. Isaac, the old man, began to tremble uncontrollably. And he said, Well, then who just served me my wild game? I blessed him just before you came. Verse 35, Isaac said, Your brother tricked me. He's taken away your blessing. And then Esau said, No wonder his name is Jacob, for now he has cheated me twice. First he took my rights as the firstborn, and now he's stolen my blessing. 
Now, the idea of the firstborn, there were certain legal rights in terms of property ownership, inheritances, and those kind of things that would go to the firstborn. And one day, Esau, again, he was out hunting. He was tired. He was exhausted, thought he was going to die. Jacob was kind of a home guy. And, and, and Esau said, give me something to eat. And Jacob the trickster said, hey, I'll give you something to eat, but give me your birthright first. So he stole the birthright, and now he's stolen the blessing, and his brother's hot. But I want to tell you, this was his nature. This is the way he was born. And can I tell you this? All of us are born with a propensity in a certain direction. I can give you a hint. I'll preach shorter if you say amen a little louder today. All of us are born with certain struggles. I look at my daddy and my grandfather, and I see I have battled the same struggles that they battled. But guess what? I've decided that with the help of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to stop it so my son and my grandson doesn't have to deal with the same thing. But you're just born with certain struggles in your life and a certain nature. And this was, and I'm not talking about personality. I'm not talking about an extrovert or an introvert. I'm not talking about you know, a fun-loving person or a reflective person. I'm talking about the way we live life. I'm talking about this idea of character. And Jacob was born to deceive and trick people. And it's the way he got ahead in life. I mean, it's probably the way that, uh, that uh, he would get things at school. Uh, you know, people, if they, don't, uh, if they want your lunch money, you know, a bully will intimidate you, and he learns how to be a bully. Well, guess what? He learned how to be a bully pretty good, so if he wants to get on the ball team, he probably threatens whoever else is going out for his position. You understand what I'm talking about? And he learns to get what he wants by being a bully. Nobody disciplines him. And then when he gets older in life, if he's a business person, you know, he's cocky, he's got money, and he just rolls over everybody, and he lies, and he, he uses bribes and he pays the, you know, the sheriff and he pays the judge and he's learned how to manipulate his way through life. Well, let me tell you this. God knows how to get our attention. Because here's my question to you. If Jacob was that kind of cheater and deceiver, how in the world could God use him to become such a great man of God that the whole nation of Israel could be named after him? Now, I want you to listen to this and I'll tell you how God did it. God uses the circumstances created by our choices to change our character. Let me say it again. God will use the circumstances that our choices created to change our character. As we see the story unfold this morning, here's what you're going to see. Jacob now has to run away from Esau. And for 20 years, he is in this set of circumstances because of his trickery and treachery. And God will use all this to bring him home and make him into a man of God. And I'll suggest to you, the circumstances you're in today are likely the result of many choices that you've made in your life, good or bad. Let's keep reading the story, because here's something you're going to see now, is God sees past our problems, He sees our potential. If you'd have known me at 19, I would have been voted in high school as the least likely to become a preacher. Now, if you needed some beer, that would have been me. If you needed something else, that would have been me. The sheriff's here this morning, and I don't know if, how long the statute of limitations may apply to some of my past life. So, but if you needed something, I was the guy, okay? Well, guess what? God looked at me, and he didn't see what I was. He didn't see some guy at a party. He saw a guy that had the potential to be a preacher. Come on. And God cares more about your future than your past more about what you're going to be than what you are, but he's got to work on the character issues that have you enslaved to your past. Well, let's keep reading. Genesis 27, 41. After his dad died, Esau hated Jacob. 
He hated him because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau, mind you, he's the bigger, burlier, hefty brother. He says, the days of mourning for my father are approaching, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. This was known. This was not hidden. His mother knew this. How many know every time they passed each other in the hall, so to speak, when they passed each other in the barn or in the field, you could feel the hatred coming from your brother. And here's what I want you to know. Sooner or later, bad character choices will catch up with you. Sooner or later, if you have learned how to get ahead in life by controlling and manipulating people, sooner or later, you're going to run into a wall. If you have learned how to get your way by lying, by stealing, by cheating, sooner or later you're going to be, you're going to be uh, uh, fenced in by the sheriff. I mean, sooner or later, character will catch up with you. And what happened with Jacob when it caught up with him? He ran away. And you know, that's what many people do when they get in trouble. They run away. If the marriage is not working, they get another marriage. If the job is not working, they get another job. Let me say this, after several marriages and after more jobs than you can remember on your resume, maybe it's not only your spouse's fault, come on, maybe it's not just the boss's fault, but maybe there's some dynamic in your life that's making this cycle perpetuate itself. It's called character. You're way too quiet on me this morning. Maybe something goes on in your world that God wants to fix. Because let me say this, you're never too far gone for God to help get in the right way so you can be the person God wants you to be. Listen, let me say it again. You may, be, you may be in jail because of your bad choices, but guess what? God can make you the chaplain of the jailhouse. I mean, you'll have a captive audience every time you go to church. We let our kids get away with this sometimes. You, have you ever known a child, or maybe you've got one, that all the problems in their life is the teacher's fault? The reason that they don't do good on the ball team, it's the coach's fault. It's always somebody else's fault rather than looking in the mirror and saying, maybe it's my character. Maybe it's something that I'm not doing or something that I should do that I shouldn't. Well, this is what's going on. Bad character choices will catch up with you. But here's the neat thing. God sees our potential in the midst of it. Now, let's read uh, chapter 28, verse 12. Jacob is running away now from home. He's sleeping, and he dreams of a stairway that reaches from heaven, uh, from the earth all the way up to heaven. And at the top of the stairway stands the Lord. And they said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Isaac. Now, here's what I want to tell you today. I don't care what you have done or where you're running, God can still invade your life. Now, this is powerful. That, now, here's a guy who cheated, who'd robbed, who'd stole, stole something from his daddy's deathbed. I mean, this is as bad as somebody for drugs, and I know people, stealing mama's wedding ring and hocking it at the pawn shop. I'm talking bad, 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 but in the middle of that place, God comes to us. Isn't that pretty incredible? See, the Bible says, well, we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So let me underscore this today. God sees the potential of your life. God doesn't just see your problems. He doesn't just see what you've done. He doesn't just go by the reputation that's on your resume or on your criminal record. God sees the potential of your heart. And listen to what God says over this thieving crook. The ground you're lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. That's why Israel is parked on the Mediterranean right now. Because God, through Abraham and now Jacob, gave them this land. Look at verse 14. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's he talking about? He's talking about us being blessed through this thief because Jesus was going to be born through his lineage. 
I'm telling you. And notice this great promise, verse 15. God says this to him in a dream. I am with you. I will protect you wherever you go. And one day I'll bring you back to the land. Now listen, God is not excusing his character. He's just seeing beyond it because God knows he's going to use some pressure of some circumstances to get a hold of his heart to make him into the man he wants him to be. Jacob awoke from his sleep and he said this, Surely the Lord is here and I wasn't even aware of it. You know, it's just possible that God may be at work in your life and you don't even know it. It may be possible the job you're in. Listen, I know people who absolutely hate Texarkana, USA. I mean, it is the last place on the earth. I'll say, what are you doing here? And they say, oh, I don't know. And it seems pretty clear that God, come on, is involved in what's going on in our lives. And you may be in a situation today that you don't like, you don't understand. You may be running away from an Esau, but it could be that you're running into the arms of God. Because God is going to turn your circumstances right back towards Him. Well, verse 20, and this is pretty amazing now, Jacob makes a vow. And the vow is a promise. And he said, if God will be with me. Because here's the deal. At this point in the story, he's not his own God. He's his daddy's God. He's not surrendered his life yet to God. He's doing his own thing. He's a self-made man. If indeed you're with me, protect me on the journey. Provide for me with food and clothing. And if I return safely to my father's house, then, the scripture says, the Lord will certainly be what? If you do these things that I cannot do, that I am out of control, can I tell you, oftentimes God will bring you to the end of your rope just to get your attention. God will bring you to a place where you can't do anything for yourself. And then God says, okay, now I've got you the place that I want you to be. Now I can take over with your life. If you're surrendered to me. It's like you're at the end of your rope. Well, listen, maybe you need to let go of your rope and fall into the arms of God rather than just trying so desperately to do it on your own. And then he closes with the last phrase. He said this, Jacob said, if you'll do all these things for me, then of all that you've given me, I'll give you a tenth. In other words, I'll tithe to you. I'll give you, that, I'll give you what I have trusted in. Let me make a couple observations from this scripture. Number one is God sees your potential, not just where you are. And I want to encourage you today. If you have gotten yourself boxed in in life, if you have been defined by some character issues, if you can't get a job, if you can't advance, if you can't find the right person in your life, if things just have you in a box, God sees some potential in your life. If you will surrender those soulish parts of your life to Him where you try to manipulate and do it in your own strength and get your own way. And the second thing when He said, God, if you'll be faithful and take care of me, I'll give you a tithe of all I have. Let me tell you what that means. Just like the testimony that you heard from the girl today. Tithing is not about money and it's not about church bills. Tithing is about our heart. And here's what I know in my own life. As long as I'm trying to run John Miller's life, the last thing I want to do is to get rid of 10% of my money. Because I don't have enough already. Come on, say amen. And I surely know that I won't have enough tomorrow with the crazy shape America's in. So how in the world could I take care of myself? Here's the thing. The source of your provision is not you, friend. It's God. That's why Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. And when you trust Him enough to honor Him with the tenth, listen, you put yourself in covenant with Him. It's all about trusting in God. And that's what Jacob didn't have. Jacob was a self-made man doing it his own way. Now, here's my favorite scripture in this story. Sooner or later, your circumstances will catch up with you. And let me say this. God will use circumstances 
to make you confront your character flaws. Let me say it again. Your circumstances will become a mirror to see what's in your heart. Now, Jacob at this point is settled in Haran. He's living with his uncle, uh, Laban. And uh, he's living there a while. Well, he gets there. How many know every young man needs a what? Yeah. He needs a wife. And he finds this pretty young girl. Her name is Rachel. And properly then, like hopefully you would do today as a young person, go to the father of this young girl. Well, I don't have to do that. Look, get over your rebellion because you're not just marrying the girl. Come on. You're marrying her family. And if you want them to honor you, don't you think you ought to honor them? That was just totally extra. But he goes to Laban and he says, basically, uh, uh, Mr. Laban, sir, uh, I'd like to marry your daughter. Now, what Jacob doesn't know is Laban is a trickster just like he is. Now, I want you to see the story as it unfolds. And he says, what do I have to do to marry your daughter? And he said, I want you to work seven years to pay for her. Kind of like a dowry kind of thing. In other words, I want you to give me something. If I'm going to give you this daughter, you my favorite daughter here, I want you to work for me. And notice what it says. Here's, here's every woman's dream. His love for her was so strong that it seemed like a few days. I mean, that guy's out there working and sweating, and all along he's just thinking about this fine young woman that's going to be Miss Jacob. Well, lo and behold, finally the time comes to get married. Seven years is over. He said, I fulfill my agreement, Jacob said to Laban. Give me my wife so I can marry her. In other words, okay, I did what you said. You made me a promise. I did it. Now give me what belongs to me. That just kind of makes sense, doesn't it? But notice what happens next. Laban invites everyone to the neighborhood and prepares a wedding feast. You can only assume they're all drinking, and Jacob probably gets a little on the drunk side. Verse 23, that night when it was dark, and here's kind of the way they did. They didn't go to, you know, Hot Springs or Acapulco or wherever for a honeymoon. Uh, you know, he has his tent, and she came in, and it was dark. Laban took Leah, the older sister, to Jacob, and he slept with her. Now, I can only imagine this guy must be drunk, it's dark, and Leah must be wearing uh, Rachel's clothes uh, and her perfume because he didn't even know he's sleeping with the wrong woman. Okay, get the picture? He wakes up the next morning and listen to this. He said, he said it was Leah, and he said, What have you done to me? He raged at Laban. I worked seven years for Rachel and you have tricked me. So now the cheater gets cheated. The manipulator gets manipulated, and the deceiver gets deceived, and he doesn't like it. Because it's okay if I do it to you, but it's not okay if you do it to me. I want to suggest to you what he's looking at is he's looking at himself in the mirror. There's a scriptural truth in the book of Galatians. It says, you reap, you reap what you sow. That is, if you sow to the flesh, you're going to get corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, you'll greet life. And all of his life, he'd sowed to his flesh, which means he was simply a self-made man. And now, somebody that was a little smarter manipulator than he was has manipulated him. And I want to suggest this to you as well from experience. Not only was he ad mad what Laban had done to him, he was mad when he looked at himself when he looked at the mirror because he realized this is how I've treated people all my life. And I want to suggest to you, this is what the Holy Spirit will do. He will allow to, you to see yourself in other people. And when you see it, that's the moment that God is trying to use your circumstances to make you into a new person with different character. Have you ever found yourself just really someone you really didn't like? 
I mean someone you couldn't stand and you would talk bad about them and, and you would make fun of them and you would keep almost a diary in your head and then maybe your wife or friend says, you know what, you act just like them. And you want to punch your wife out when all she's trying to do is tell you the truth. Come on. Because there's a mirror that we're looking at. The Holy Spirit will use these things. If you don't punch your wife, if you just punch yourself and say, look, won't you just let God change that part of your life? Because that's what's holding you down. See, God will use experiences in life to get your attention. You remember Simon Peter, early in his, in his, in his relationship with Jesus, Simon Peter was, was fishing. He'd fished all night, the Bible said, and caught what? Caught nothing. And here Jesus has preached, and then Jesus said, I want you to drop your net into the water again. And he said, Lord, I've, caught, I've fished all night. I'm a professional, but at your word, I'll do what you say. He drops the, the nets in the water. They catch so many fish that boats, that boats can't hold them. And you know what he says to Jesus at that point? He doesn't say thank you. He doesn't say you're amazing. He says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. It's like God came in the middle of the circumstance and, 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 and turned the light on, showed him a mirror of himself. And let me encourage you, friends, oftentimes God will use circumstances to shine on the weakness in our character, not to beat us up or put us down, but simply to convict us so we can go on and become the person he wants us to be. Come on, give the Lord a good hand this morning. Uh, let's wrap up and then we'll get some of that chicken and pork loin together. Chapter 32. This is where we began in the story, but let's look at a couple more verses. Jacob, when Jacob encountered God, he changed his character. Here's something I, I want you to know that I know about myself and I know about you. There's some things that are so interwoven in who I am and my psyche and my soul that I can't change myself. But if I have an encounter with God, come on, my willingness and God's Holy Spirit can change me. Now, here's what happened in Jacob's life. Genesis 32, verse 24. Notice what it says now. Jacob is going home. It's been a little over 20 years. He's been away. Now he's, he's married both these gals somehow. He's got kids. He's got all these sheep. He's got all these animals. And he's going home. But you know what? He's still a trickster. You say, well, how do you know that? He schemes this thing with Esau. See, he's still afraid of Esau. Esau is the big brother. He's still intimidated by him. He's scared. And the night before he meets Esau, he divides his family up in groups. He divides all his animals, and he puts them like one after another because he's giving all this stuff to his brother. Take all this, take all this, trying to buy his favor, trying to trick again, trying to manipulate rather than trust God. Well, he finds himself now, he, he's afraid of his brother. He knows what it's like to be tricked, but he also knows the promises of God. And what he's going back to is he's going back because God said, I'm going to take care of you. And now he's starting to exercise some faith, but he's still afraid. And verse 24 says something pretty cool. It says, Jacob was left alone. Let me tell you this. The times of being alone can be some of the greatest spiritual times in your life. And I don't mean when you're just, you know, I don't have any friends and I don't have anybody to go out to the movies with. I mean when you have moments of life and nobody else is there. The TV's not on, the radio's not on, the CD's not on, but it's just a moment when you're not even aware, but, but God is there. I had one of these moments just Friday night, and they don't happen this often to me like this. I have my routines of prayer and, you know, Bible study and all those things I do. But Friday night, I was by myself. My wife's in California. Her, her folks have, have not been uh, well, and she went to see them. She's gone. Rebecca's at the lake, and John's in Fayetteville, and Bethany's at discipleship training this, this, this summer. So I, I'm in the law, uh, at bed. Normally, I just 
crash at night, you know, you're tired. But I just found myself sitting in bed just a minute and just beginning to think about how kind God has been to me. You know, one of the things as a pastor is you carry the burdens of people. You know, and I'll tell you what, we have some people in our church now that are just hurting. You know, just this weekend, it was, it was a one-year anniversary of Bill Lanier's death. And he left two daughters, and he left a wife. And you've got those, you have people that grapple with cancer and, and all these different things. People that have lost jobs. And, and, and I carry a lot of these things. I pray for these things. And I was sitting in bed, and I just began to think how good God has been to me. And it's not because I'm better than anybody else. But just for some reason, God has been kind to me. And God gave me some food to eat that day. Come on, that level I'm talking about. God had gas in my truck. God gave me a house to stay in. God gives give me a wife that I never have to worry if she's out fooling around on me. Uh, kids that love me that are, that are doing pretty good. And I just begin to think about my life because for the last few, really several months, I turned 55 and I'm thinking about the next 10 or 15 years of my life. That I'm wanting to finish strong as a pastor. I'm wanting our church to be healthy and strong. And I'm kind of saying, okay, Lord, what next? I'm kind of at this, this place in life. Which, how many know the next place can be like that? Or you can stay here and do that. And I'm saying, Holy Spirit, I want to do that. And it was almost like all these prayers over the last several weeks, I just felt God invade my room. And usually when I have one of those moments, I become very aware of my sinfulness, of my mistakes, of the things that I've done wrong, and I feel shame. But I just almost felt just the cleansing of the Holy Spirit say, I understand all those things. But don't you understand that I've placed my love on you? Come on. And the blood of Christ is indeed greater. And I just felt God embracing me as his child. Well, this was a moment that Jacob was having with God. He's all alone. And it's very interesting. There's mystery here. But the scripture says, a man wrestled with him into the breaking of day. The Bible doesn't tell us who this man was. Hosea tells us that it was an angel or an angel of the Lord. But somehow Jacob in this narrative will tell us, God was wrestling with him. Through this encounter, God himself was, was wrestling until the break of day. And Jacob said, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. So what do you think about this? He's fighting with God, and when he realizes he is helpless with Esau, he cannot manipulate, he cannot trick any longer. He said, God, I've got to have you because I cannot do it on my own. And this is a process of transitioning from being Jacob to Israel. I won't let you go unless you bless me. And verse 27, he said to him, what is your name? Well, I mean, when God asks your name, he's not asking for information. He wants you to understand something. And here's what he said. My name is Jacob. In other words, I'm the deceiver, I'm the trickster, I'm the cheater. And notice what the Lord said. Your name is no longer Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven or struggled or wrestled with God and men and have prevailed. What does that mean? I mean, when you struggle with man all his life, he pushed to get ahead, to get his way up the ladder, to trick and street. That's the way you do it with men. But when you fight with God, come on, you humble yourself to win. When you fight with God and stay independent of God and do your own thing and go your own way, you lose. But when you wrestle with God and you submit to God, you submit to His character, you submit to His ways, you submit to trusting in Him, you surrender your life to Him, that's when you struggle with God and win by you align yourself with Him and His purposes and you embrace it. God at that moment took His struggle and the power of the Spirit and changed it from Jacob to Israel. Notice what He said. Jacob said this, I've seen God face to face and I've been delivered. And the sun rose upon Him as He passed Penuel, limping because of His hip. Now, the limp is interesting because in that struggle with this 
angelic being with God himself. After the struggle was over to make him let go, it's like God touched his hip. And for the rest of his life, he would, he would, he would kind of do that. Well, that was a physical touch. But I want to suggest to you, it was also a reminder of his encounter with God. And something I've learned in my life, I don't trust people unless they walk with a limp. What I mean by that? Until they have been broken. Until they have realized that they're at the end of their rope and God is in control of their life. But if you're still being a self-made person, if you're still controlling your world by manipulating, by lying, by making up stories, by keeping people in their spot, if that's still the way that you're living your life, you're not trustworthy until God breaks you. But guess what? When God breaks you, you're on the path to greatness in life because you have surrendered your life to God and He's first and you're not and you're trusting in Him and not yourself. And guess what? God can turn a Jacob into an Israel and if He did it for Him, He can do it for us. Come on, give the Lord a, a good hand this morning. Come on, the Lord is worthy of praise. He sees what we're going to become, not what we are. And He brings our circumstances to a place where we wrestle with God until we realize I cannot do it on my own. I must do it with Him. Did you get my best side there? Let's close in prayer this way. I just wonder, let's bow our head just a moment, and I wonder what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. I wonder this morning as we're, you're listening to this, if you've heard the voice within my voice, the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to you. I wonder if there's character issues in your life that God is putting His finger on. I wonder if he's putting his finger on anything from pride to deception to lying to controlling to manipulating. All those things that come from the carnal man to try to control our world. And I wonder if the Holy Spirit is saying this morning he wants to work with you to bring change about in your life. Because he sees such great potential that you can never realize until you surrender this aspect of your life. But if God's got his finger on an area of life this morning and you simply want to say yes to him, I'd like to pray for you. If you're here this morning and say, Pastor, God's talking to me. I want to ask the Holy Spirit now to help me. I want to acknowledge to God what I know in my heart to be true. I've looked in the mirror and I know part of my character is not pleasing, but I want to surrender it to God today. Why don't you just slip up your hand right now? Nobody looking around, not their business. You don't have to come up to the front, but I think you need to tell God. Come on, there's many more. Don't let pride stop you. You're just simply, that's right. You're just simply talking to God right now. You're saying, God, I hear your voice. I hear your voice and I surrender to you. That's what uplifted hands are like. You may want to just do that with me. Uplifted hands are like a form of surrender. It's like you wrestling with God, like Jacob did, and finally saying, I give up, Lord. Would you bless me? Just reach out to him right now and say, Lord, would you bless me? I'm not going to let go until you bless me, until you produce in me the change that I can't produce on my own. So, Holy Spirit, I simply ask that that grace of God would be released to us today and that you would walk us through this journey of becoming the person you want us to be, the person we were created to be. And this is my prayer today in Jesus' name. Everybody say it? Amen. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. Well, listen, we're going to close with have one song and a closing prayer. But uh, I really hope you'll stay with us today. I know it's hot. If you can't stand the heat, we've got, of course, the cafe. It's cool in here, and they've got some of those cooling fans outside. But your kids will have a blast. And particularly if you're new, you'll meet some new people today, and I'd just invite you to join us. But hang on just one second before you go. I want to make a place for prayer because I know there may be people here today that need a, a real touch with God. 
After this message today, something may have come to your mind. And stay with me. Just give me one more minute. Something may just be in the forefront of your mind that you have wrestled and struggled with in your character and your soul almost from birth. And you really want to take advantage of prayer this morning. Even the Bible says if we conceal our sins, we don't prosper. But when we confess and forsake them, we find mercy. The book of James tells us that if we confess our faults one to another, we'll be healed. And you may just want the confidence of praying with a person to say, you know, I struggle in this area. And I really want God to help me. I don't want to go back and be the same person I was. You could be here today and maybe you need to get right with God. Maybe you don't even know if you're going to heaven or hell and you want someone to pray with you. You want to commit your life to Christ. You've been away from God and today you want to come back. We'd be delighted to pray. We'll pray for anything. Anoint you with oil if you're sick. We'll believe God together. But why don't you stand to your feet right now. And as our prayer team comes, we're going to sing this last song. And uh, I want you to just come. If you want prayer for anything this morning, say, come pray for me, Pastor. I need, to, I, I need God's touch in my life. You come and we'll pray.